lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mjordlich. And it's season four, man. We are here. Yeah, it's been a while since we've been here together doing this. Yeah, we made it through the fire. I'm, I'm meaning the laptop fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the great laptop fire. Uh, 2022. 2022, early this year. I'm glad we were able to recover the season three, the last three episodes, because uh, those were fantastic. Yeah, those were, and the re-records were not. They were not. So I'm glad we were able to redo that. Uh, some new additions to our families, right? Like you, you guys had a child? Yeah, we did. During the time off. <laughs> I'm just staring at you to yeah. see how awkward I can make it. <laughs> yeah, a little Silas. Yeah, and we didn't have a child, but we got a dog. Yeah, I was honestly sitting there in silence to come up with some weird way of like, who did you adopt or what did you put? No, yeah, no. We, we got a dog. I think we're both doing about the same thing right now, though. Picking up something else's poop and feeding. Pretty crazy that you named your dog after my son, and we have both Siluses. <laughs> no, it's Bear. We named it Bear because it came with the name Care Bear, and we, I was like, I'm not calling this dog Care Bear. And we all agreed on Bear, so. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was, uh, Care Bear was the nickname they had given him, and the other name that the, the people we bought him from was He-Man. And I just wasn't a fan of either of the two, but he was already about four months old when we got him. And I know dogs can learn names quickly. But at this point, I felt like he is already established and responding to something. And I thought Bear would be something he'd pick up quicker. So we won't have a conversation about name changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we busted a curry. That's what we did with yeah. it. <laughs> Season four, we are going over forgotten books of the Bible. And these aren't like the secret books that aren't in the Bible. These are the books that are, are in the Bible that maybe you don't even know are in the Bible. Yeah, because there's definitely like, you, you see those things online, oh, the forgotten books, because they mm -hmm. discovered something or they want to talk about something. But yeah, these are the ones that are in there. They have just got, been forgotten. Yeah, we're not going over like the Gospel of Thomas or Judas or whatever else is right, out there. Right. Yeah, these are just ones that maybe pages stick together too much. And what we noticed when we were preparing for this is that the shorter books seem to be the ones that are forgotten most. Yeah, we didn't even plan it like this. It was just... We had the list and we were like, which ones are the most forgotten? And we had all that. And I forget, I think it was me. I was just looking through stuff and I saw, oh, pretty much everything that we're, that's coming out this season is the shortest books. Yeah, it's all on that list. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to do before we get into this week's book, Your Church Friends, since we started almost two years ago, has been listened in 43 of the 50 states in America. And I thought that was pretty cool that just starting off and almost into two years that it's gone that far around the country. Um, we're just needing the Dakotas, Wyoming, Idaho, Hawaii, Maine, and New Hampshire. So if you know anybody in those states, send them the link. We're trying to mark off all the bingos. Yeah, really, that's all <laughs> yeah. I want is just to scratch off all the states on my board at home. <laughs> and then uh, across the world, it's in 26 different countries. And I thought that was pretty cool. Some, some places I didn't even think. When I did actually looked at it, finally, I don't really look at the statistics that often. And so the other day I was like, hey, let me check this out. And like Chile, Ireland, Japan, Sweden, Tanzania, Netherlands, Philippines, South Africa, Germany, Russia, Canada, 
and then the UK, and then obviously there's a few more that I thought it was pretty cool. So to anyone who's listening in any of those places. <laughs> anyone at all. <laughs> any, <laughs> if you're out there, uh, thank you guys for listening. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, we do. Thank you. So let's get into this book. I just want to say this about the like the forgotten books because, uh, wait, are we allowed to... Uh, allude to ones that are coming later yeah yeah yeah, yeah. All right, it's cool. not like the the villain season where we're trying to keep the last episode a secret yeah so uh casey my daughter she's all into musicals and different ones and i forget which musical it comes from but there's a dude obadiah masterson is the guy's name mm-hmm. and she sings the songs in the car all the time and comes on obadiah masterson and i'm like oh like obadiah we're gonna be doing podcasts on obadiah He's like, who is Obadiah? He's like, oh, dude in the Bible. Like, there's a whole book. She's like, I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, most people don't. (laughs) That's why we're doing the forgotten books. Honestly, when we get into it, I think that's going to be the third book we get into. And I, it's fantastic. There's just getting prep worked into studying for this season. Each season has just seemed different for how you approach the study, at least for myself. Like the Sermon on the Mount was like, Okay, we're looking at what Jesus is saying. How is he breaking this down? Then we went into like just conversations with people. So that was a lot easier. And then the villain season was like character breakdown and looking at, okay, what's going on with them? And then this one is like, okay, I'm looking at the history of the book and diving in deeper into context and what's happening during that time. It was written compared to like looking at it through the lens of today and and everything like that. Like, you know, when I read my Bible, I'm like kind of almost looking at it to today's lenses. But studying it this way has really helped a lot. Yeah, because a lot of these, are, what, what is this book? What's going on? How do I place this? And yeah, on the study side, it's really interesting. But then also on the side of, all right, then how does this affect? So I think it would be cool to go through and, and hit both of those kind of aspects to it. Kind of be studious and then also just be human about it. Yeah. So let's get into this one. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first book of the Forgotten Books is Second Timothy. So I think a lot of people know First Timothy when I think of books in the Bible. First Timothy is one I think of because I usually go to like 412, you know, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. That one was like ingrained in my brain since I was in high school because every youth convention always taught that one. So that one I knew, but Second Timothy would be just kind of forgotten in the sense that I, you know, you know so much about First Timothy that you kind of, you read it, but it's just kind of passed by. So what happens when you name two brothers Timothy and First Timothy <laughs> is just gets all the attention, Second Timothy doesn't. I guess that is what happens. To clarify, only one Timothy. Yeah, there's only one. There's two books. <laughs> so we're just going to get into it. <laughs> there's two letters. Let's get into it. Where is Paul writing this letter to Timothy at? He appears to be writing it from prison. He's in chains. He is under custody, under Roman custody there. That happens kind of frequently with Paul. It tends to be, hey, let me tell you about God and love and freedom and... The powers that be go, I don't like this. We're locking you up or flogging you or whatever happens. And there's a, like I said, a few times it happened, but this really seems to be at the end of his life. So he's kind of uh, awaiting to be beheaded, which is what most people think, how his life was ended under Nero. So he's at the end of his days, he's in chains, and he's writing this to young Timothy. And a lot of people also would agree that this is his final letter, like the last thing he wrote, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, dating stuff is always all yeah. over the place, but yeah, it's, out, it's, it's at the end. So then let's get into who's Timothy. All right. So Timothy was a young guy that Paul picked up on his missionary journeys as he was going all around Asia Minor, kind of Turkey, and just as he was going around the area, 
So he went to a place called Derby in Lystra. And that's where he ran into Timothy. He was a guy that was living with his mom and his grandma. And from what we can tell, his dad was no longer in the picture. Probably he died young, something like that. But his dad being a Greek, and then on his mom's side being a Hebrew. So he um, was a mixed descent, so to say. But he was a young guy that Paul picked up on that, on that journey and really took him on as a, as a protege. There's a lot of people that Paul picked up along his travels and traveled with him and learned under him and served alongside him. And Timothy was one of those that was always spoken well of by Paul. And even in this book, we get uh, his mom's name, Eunice, and grandmother, Lois, who Paul mentions that they raised him up in the faith. I saw something when I was doing study on this, and it was like Timothy was a third-generation believer. And I was like, wow, that, how could that be? It feels like, you know, the way Jesus just died and everything, but it was his grandma, his mom, and him. So not like within three generations span, but like... At this point, you could have yeah. three generations alive who all heard of Christ and yeah. were in it. But he was still, because it was the Hebrew side, he would have been raised up in that faith, which, again, Jesus wasn't coming to establish a new religion. He is the Jewish Messiah. And, you know, it was the Jews who turned away from the Christians and didn't want that, that it kind of forced it to split off. But it's coming from the faith, you know, faith of Abraham coming all the way through. So he was raised up in that. And then, you know, Christ coming into that and bringing the fulfillment to, to everything there. Yeah. And, and like you said, that there was this bond between Timothy and Paul, where they were, uh, Paul called him, I mean, several different terms. I'll go through them quickly, but he calls him a fellow worker, a brother, a bondservant, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, son, and then co-equals in the Lord's work. But even in this letter, he says, my dear uh, son, Timothy. So there was an intimate relationship there between the two of them. Which there is, and I, I, I do think that's true. When I was studying some stuff, it's really interesting, this book in particular, and I think that it's just kind of a, a Paul thing anyways, because he himself is Jewish, but then he's going around and he's interacting with a bunch of Greek-speaking people and from that culture that he really, in this book, you can see him kind of pulling from both of those cultures in the way that he writes and, and what he brings out. I think it's both on the Greek side and the Hebrew side that if you have a disciple, it was common to call them a child or a son. So I know that in our culture, it's more of like an endearing thing and can pull that in, but it was just kind of the common term for, oh, you're one of my students. I'm calling you son. I'm calling you. And I think that goes more to like how different the relationship of a teacher and student was then compared to to now. Like uh, I remember a few weeks ago doing a message on Jesus and the disciples. And one of the things I found was that there was this term called... um, uh, the dust of your rabbi, and basically mm-hmm. meaning that you were so close to that person that the dust that they walked on kicked up and was on you. So there was more of a every day, all the time around each other lifestyle compared to like you saw someone for like an hour or something a day. Yeah, exactly. Way different than what yeah. we have going on today. But I do think that in here when he when he's starting off Second Timothy one verse two to my beloved child, right? So you even see that with Jesus when he's referring to who we think is John, right? The beloved disciple. So I think that son might be a lot more common for a disciple, but when you throw in the beloved in there, beloved, there's definitely a special relationship between Timothy and and Paul that isn't really there. Maybe that you get from, say, a Silas or one of the others. So let me break down this book. And next week's episode, we have Chris Brown coming back. He did the Samson episode of uh, last season on the villains. So he's going to come back and sit with us 
on Second uh, Timothy, and that's going to be fantastic. I, I really can't wait to see what he pulls out from this book. And I mean, I'm sure he'll probably go into a way better description of context, history. I mean, the guy's just a phenomenal storyteller. Yeah. Just so often I know a story, or I know a passage, and he just pulls out different stuff, which is cool. I, I like that we live in a time where we can associate with different teachers, good, different good teachers, you know, who, who truly teach the scriptures. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be fun. So breakdown is, uh, so from chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, is a greeting, thanksgiving, and encouragement to Timothy. Chapter 2 is, uh, from 1 through 13, is aspects of effective ministry. Verse 14 of chapter 2 through 3, verse 9, is opposing false teachers. And then chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 22, is Paul's charge to Timothy and his closing remarks. So that's just a quick, simple breakdown of the book. I like adding those. I might put these in the show notes too, just so as people are seeing them, they can see how the book's broken down. And really, what I like about it is where Paul's heart's at. As he's writing this, it's like encouragement to Timothy because Timothy obviously, as you read this book, needs encouragement. Like he is getting tore up. He's getting wore down. The ministry was not as easy as he thought it would be. Maybe he didn't think it would be easy, but it's not, it's nothing's going simple for him. You know, I think for a lot of us, if I personalize it, I would like to do something and it just be simple. No hiccups, no nothing. Uh, But this didn't seem to be happening for him. Yeah. And in looking at this, this is a letter. We look at it as, oh, it's a book in the Bible. Right. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and it's not one of the other letters that he wrote to, like, the churches, right? To where he'll say, hey, this is to the church in Ephesus. Or, hey, I'm, I'm writing it to you guys, but pass it around the other churches and things like that to where a lot of people are supposed to read this, and he's trying to give that general education on things or apply things to the community. This is really a behind-the-scenes view of Paul to Timothy. This is similar to when me and you have side conversations about stuff that's going on and like my personal struggles or yours and just what's going on in church or what's going on in the world, right? And it's just, we're getting, it's a very intimate view into that. And when we kind of shape it that way, rather than, oh yeah, it's a book in the Bible, let me study this and look at it more like, we're getting a really behind the scenes view on, like you're saying, what's going on in the church. And one of the leaders in the church, Timothy, he, he was there. And just the struggles he was having. And I really like how you brought that up, that it is a letter. And I think we do forget that. And I was trying to think while you're talking, like all the books we're going to cover for this season. And I think they're either a letter from a prophet or from someone writing it to a church. But looking at the Bible that way, instead of like a book, I think it does help so much more because it's, it's personal. It's, it's written to somebody. And what I found when we did the, just a, one episode on Revelation and the prep for that was, you know, it can't mean for us something it didn't mean for them. Right. So looking at it in the context of how they see it and everything, I I think that goes a long way to studying and really understanding what you're looking at. And even studying, looking at that, something like Second Timothy, sometimes we have all the little headers and the verse numbers and the chapter breaks and stuff. And if I was to write you a letter, I'm not throwing all of that in. <laughs> Unless I was really like, cool, let me bullet point out some stuff to draw attention to it. Paul wasn't doing that here. Yeah. So it can be really helpful. You can find it online, but different stuff of just books of the Bible that don't have the extras to it. It's a very, it's four chapters for Second Timothy. Go and read it as a straight letter and see what it is in a letter form. It's so useful to do that. I know study sometimes you get in, you break everything apart, but a letter, you read a letter all at once, Mm. right? Oh man, my friend wrote me a letter. Let me read it. 
unless you're like me and they write you an email, it's like, why did you send it in an email? But generally, you know, <laughs> you get a note from someone. Yeah, that's why I like this breakdown because yeah. it, it does kind of just smoothly transition throughout the whole letter of, okay, you need encouragement. Let me encourage you. Let me, let's talk about ministry and the effectiveness of a good ministry. Watch out. False teachers are coming because they're going to come. And then, you know, his charge, like, Timothy, here's my commission. If this is the final thing that Paul wrote, this is his commission in charge to this person he considered his son. And he's saying, this is it. I'm leaving it all out there for you. And then kind of like his closing remarks. And again, if we're looking at this as the last thing he wrote, the last words of Paul written down, and, and they, they mean a lot. There's a lot in there. You brought that up a few times, and it kind of resembles there's a genre again, between both Jewish leaders and philosophers, and they would be called a testament. If you go back and look at ancient documents, you'd find like the testament of so-and-so. It would be their their last words of wisdom, and here's where they pour it all out. And this really kind of fits within that genre. Yeah, and one thing I want to make clear before I get move on to the next thing is that the effective ministry part, it wasn't like here are seven plans to have a great ministry or to be a great leader. That section was really talking about enduring. It's just like endure, because that's all you can do as, a, as someone within the church or in your Christian walk is it's endurance, enduring through persecution, enduring through suffering, enduring through the walk. Because I, what I feel when I read Timothy, and I wish, I wish I had read Timothy, 2 Timothy, with the lens I do today, like 10 years ago, because it would have helped me so much. Instead of looking at it as just another book in the Bible and just kind of reading it and like, oh, how could I teach this to other people? But actually looking at how it applies to me, it would have changed everything. So you get that too? You're yeah. reading, you're like, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to tell it to someone else. It's not, <laughs> yeah, that's not I, I get that me. it's for me, but like, I, I got to tell someone else about this. No, every time back then I was like, ooh, this definitely could be taught to so-and-so, you know, they need to hear this. But yeah, this, I would have really understood the call. You know, the call of ministry isn't about the number of people you have at your church. The call to be a Christian, let me take out ministry, just the call to be a Christian. It's not about what the world makes things about. Like it's not likes, followers, subscribers, whatever you want to call it, your uh, status. It's about enduring what life has before you. And we can endure it. And that's where Paul brings it into Timothy. He says we can endure it because of Jesus Christ in our life. And that's really the thing that I wish I knew back then, because I didn't. And when I didn't know that, when things started crumbling, I didn't endure it at the time, you know. Now I had to pick myself out of rubble and kind of move forward with God in that relationship. But this would have been a book that made a huge impact in my life, just hearing the encouragement from Paul. Yeah. And even looking at that, looking at endurance, I don't think that that means that all of life is hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For a while, people have been asking me, how are you doing? And I tend to be pretty honest in my answer. I say, you know what? I'm doing really good right now, but I know it won't always be that way. So I'm enjoying it while I have it. And just, I think that that's in the endurance, right? Is mm-hmm. that you don't want to go too fast, too slow, but like you keep moving forward and yeah, you deal with what's before you. And if you don't have endurance, you stop basically, right? You stop, yeah. you give up and, and what that looks like. I remember after I had COVID, I used to like running before that. And then after I got COVID and I, I was better, supposedly, I went for a run like I would normally do. Just a one mile run like I would before I got sick. I didn't even make it a mile. My chest was feeling like it was going to explode. My lungs were like 
not getting any oxygen to him. And I was like, I've got to stop. And so I stopped. I, I couldn't endure or continue anymore. Uh, it was just too difficult. And I think that's where you're getting at, right? Like that kind of idea of endurance is that if you don't have endurance, you're just going to stop. And to go off of that, right, getting to the point to where it's too much and to bring that into Second Timothy is, I think that with this perspective, like you're saying, like, man, I wish I had that 10 years ago. Yes, <laughs> likewise. <laughs> but you're right. You, you can kind of see Paul writing to Timothy to where he's in that point, right? Like, man, I've been going after this thing. The equivalent of my lungs are about to explode. I, I can't do it, right? And for us as Christians, the power to endure isn't like you said, well, here's seven steps to make it through it. It's the grace of God. Mm -hmm. And it's the reality of the grace of God. It is the reality of Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit to where miraculously my situation doesn't change. The external circumstances can remain the same, but I can step back into God's graces, right? I can find refuge in him and find rest in him that He's bringing that power to endure the energy, right? Whatever that is to keep going, that he keeps us. It's a different thing. Yeah. Because no one brought that to you when you were running. No, <laughs> you know right? I mean? Yeah. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And I've glanced over that verse. But when I was looking at it this time around, studying for this, I've never equated be strong in the grace. Like that from grace, we get strength. Like there is power in grace to keep moving forward. And like you were saying right now that like needing to endure, I feel like a key ingredient that I miss personally and, I, and maybe others too then, because hopefully I'm not the only one that's dumb and missed this, but that having grace in our life is about the forgiveness of our sins and that we can move forward and have a relationship with him. But being strong in it, like sustaining yourself in that grace, like getting your source of strength from it, meaning like I draw power from that, that I can endure the hardship or just life itself because I'm constantly going to the well of grace and, and taking from that and having that replenish my life and that kind of refreshing my life. Uh, like, like you were talking about, like it's not always about the hard times or things being difficult. Like for me, it's just life. And life is great and life is not. I love my children more than anything. I love my wife. And there are times we have great moments together. But anyone else who's a parent or a spouse knows that there are also times when those things are really, really difficult. And being a parent can be tough. Like disciplining your child. I don't want to do that. That breaks my heart more than it does theirs. And I'm sitting there watching them. Yeah, okay, we've all heard that one. Yeah. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right, I didn't even understand that until I became a parent. Um, when I do something stupid and and then me and Justine are arguing about it or, you know, we're just not clicking or jiving and the, the relationship is getting damper. Like, I don't want that. But in order to make that relationship successful, I have to endure past that. I just can't call quits. I just can't say, you know what? I don't want to be a dad anymore. I don't want to be a husband anymore. That's what I'm talking about. Like that endurance is, yes, there are great times and there are bad times. Endure all of them. Like mm -hmm. just press through. Enjoy the moments that are great. Learn from the moments that aren't. I was only bringing up that it's not all bad because like, why do I want to be a Christian? <laughs> oh, well, I mean. Just because like there is the endurance side, but there is also the joy side, right? It's both. Being yeah. able to weather the storm. It's like Jesus says, right? He's like, look, the storm is coming, 
build on solid ground. Right. Yeah. And I think grace being part of that. So mm-hmm. let's go to the break and we'll come back and tear up some of this book. Sounds good. I'm Luster of Luster's Prosthetics, the number one retail warehouse of quality prosthetics. Here to tell you about our latest product in the prosthetic line. We call it the itching ear. What is the itching ear you ask? It's a prosthetic ear that allows you to hear only what you want to hear. No longer do you have to worry about what the truth is because the itching ear allows you to create your own sweet truth. You don't have to put up with what some call sound doctrine anymore with the itching ear. If you don't like what someone is saying, then all you have to do is turn on the itching ear and it allows you to hear whatever suits your desires. You'll live happily ever after in your own reality, hearing exactly what you want to hear. So if you're tired of having to hear what others want you to hear, stop by Luster's today and pick up the itching ear. Also, check out our new location adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. Lusters, leading the way in prosthetics since 1972. Coming back in, I want to get back into 2 Timothy 2. So you said that that first one where we were kind of focusing, right? Is uh, you therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. A couple verses after that in verse 3 and 4, Paul tells Timothy, Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier refrains from entangling himself in civilian affairs in order to please the one who enlisted him. There's a couple other examples that kind of follow alongside. But that couple verses, ever since I really read them, they stuck with me for years now. Just when considering this Christian life and what we're called to in a way, or what at least I know my calling is a bit different as a pastor. So I try not to put, you know, some things that convict me on 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 everybody there, especially Timothy's a pastor as well. So kind of keeping that in, but that a soldier refrains himself from entangling in civilian affairs. A lot of times I can look at my life and just be like, why am I dealing with so many of these like seemingly worldly things? They might not be bad. They might not be sinful. They might not whatever. But if I have the mindset that I'm a soldier and like if I'm on duty, I don't get to go. Like I've had friends join the military and all kinds of stuff. Like you leave home. You don't have all the comforts. You're not spending spending your time watching Netflix or doing whatever. You are on duty. You're under command. And I frequently, this, this verse is just one of those ones that just comes to my mind very frequently that I'm under command. I don't have time to be doing these other things. Like that's not the allowance that I have in my life. So I just wanted to highlight that because that was a couple of verses that I, just I'm always stuck with me. I'm glad that you brought that up because when I was looking at it earlier this week too, uh, that part stood out to me more than anything. I think when I was walking, I was on my walk in the morning and I was listening to Second Timothy, I listened to it through like four different translations. And that part kept highlighting for me for some reason, that civilian affairs. Mm-hmm. And I just started thinking about like, what does that actually mean? And yeah, I kind of came to the same spot as you, like worldly affairs. If you're a soldier, you're no longer a civilian. So mm-hmm. if Christ has called us out of something into something new, then he's called us into being soldiers. And like you said, we're always on duty. So maybe some of the stuff we're going through is because we're trying to put our foot back into civilian affairs. And he's saying like, nah, you need to get back over here. And I think just so clear cut and just the picture of it is so clear. Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm a civilian. The whole time I've been able to do whatever. 
they're calling me from boot camp and it's like oh <laughs> your identity's being stripped over there yeah i'm eating donuts <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but the the equivalent there is just like and it's fine for me to be a civilian it's not fine for them who've been enlisted to so again going back to that i know i've been enlisted so i really need to keep myself in that mindset of i've been enlisted it's not fine for me to do what the what the world or even maybe some christians are that they're okay to be doing i'm just i just know i'm in a different spot i'm glad you brought that part up but uh then i wanted to jump down to verse 14 there's a lot of good stuff and maybe we'll come back and, and hit it but verse 14 so here's he's talking to timothy and he's giving him some personal encouragement and stuff but then he comes in here remind the believers of these things charging them before god but it's not just you reminding them it's like hey before god this is this, this is coming from to avoid quarreling over words, which succeeds only in leading the listeners to ruin. And then in verse 16, but avoid irreverent empty chatter, which will only lead to more ungodliness. And the talk of such men will spread like gangrene. And just those thoughts of the empty chatter, quarreling over words, and that he's talking, remind the believers about this. That within the church, there's become this thing that people are just quarreling over words and over, it's like, they're just talking and talking and talking. And it's spreading like gangrene, which gangrene, that's a scary, nasty thing, right? It's yeah. Like, like, if you get a little bit, it's coming and like, what's the solution? Chop it off so that you don't lose the whole, the whole thing. I just think that we're in such a time of so much empty, irreverent chatter that just people are quarreling over words and... Kind of reminds me of Jesus when he's talking about the Pharisees. Like, hey, you guys are so careful about your laws. Like, you're tithing, you're minting, you're, you're cumin, and you're, you're, you're herbs, right? But you're forgetting the weightier matters of righteousness. And sometimes I feel in today's world, it, it's just like this. It's the quarreling over words. There's so much chatter, especially hop on YouTube or whatever. Even within your local church, there's just like, why are we spending so much time? And it's just spreading, right? A little argument pops up and then you get more people in on it and then people are taking sides and everything's like, have any of you guys thought about the homeless people recently? Yeah. Like anybody? Like, do you, what about the people who don't have the gospel? You have the gospel. You get to go to heaven. You're in here arguing over emptiness. Like, go see what the world is like and go help somebody. I don't know. So th this just really hit me as a, a little bit relevant to today as well. Yeah, I, I like that too because the looking at it from... It's inside the church, mm -hmm. and inside the church, when it talks about like godless chatter and things that aren't good, and just what my translation says, avoid godless chatter, and uh, the other one is quarreling about words that have no value. Then Paul says, uh, these two guys uh, have strayed from the faith because they say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the same faith. I looked at it as more, too, also like sometimes within the church division among about like non-essential topics within the body like election or predestination or when the rapture is happening and when it's not happening and all those stuff and that that's caused so much division so much separation and paul's like that stuff just leads to gangrene it just destroys and it turns things nasty and gross and then you think about like yeah the church what happened to those churches that were together that then split because of it just nasty gangrene and you could say like yeah well you're gonna do your thing your way and i'm gonna do thing my way but look at what it's done to the body it's caused so much division separation and then what i really liked from that was verse 19 nevertheless god's solid foundation stands firm and like he's just telling timothy 
solid foundation is always where you need to build yourself from. Mm-hmm. Build it on that, and that's going to stand firm. Don't get caught up in all this hoopla and this and that. I mean, even if we look at the last two years that we've had, we got people within the church that were like, we need to shut down the church because that's the right thing to do. No, we need to rebel against the government because that's the right name thing to do. We need to wear a mask in the church. No, we don't need to wear a mask. We need to be vaccinated, not that, you know, it just spread. And uh, within the church we went to, we seen people leave over those topics and those decisions that were made within the church. And yeah, all it did was nothing. And it was useless. At the end of the day, it was useless chatter. Yeah. And again, coming to like, what are the actual weightier measures Mm -hmm. of grace in that situation? Right. Is Man, getting so upset about pastors, about their decisions, all this stuff. It's like, do you realize how hard some of that stuff has been? They're like, not only are they going through a pandemic themselves and, like, you know, trying to be safe and whatever, but like now you have 50 to several hundred to several, several thousand people, depending on the size of your church, and everyone has different opinions. And you're just going to turn and be angry at people. It's like, what about the biblical com- commands to treat each other with respect and with grace and with kindness? Like out the window, right? Yeah. But when you're talking about that foundation, it's the verse that I skipped in 15, I think really ties into that. It says, make every effort to present yourself approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. So I don't think that the solution is like, ah, people are going to be talking about all this, like they have opinions on stuff and like, just don't even worry about it. It's like, no, study, be able to accurately handle it. And my view of accurately handling it, at least today, 2,000 years later, where we were not working with all the same stuff that they were working with, is I've come to the conclusion of study so I can know the different plausible views on things, so I can definitely know the wrong views on things, and that if I have a brother who's landing within the world of plausibility, cool, I have a brother who's thinking about the thing and who wants to carry out the faith in a way that's making sense, that's not obviously wrong or wicked, or, you know, heretical, or, you know, any of those things. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's accurately handling, because it's not all just head information. To accurately handle the word of truth is to live it out accurately. Yeah, I think that's the big part of it, too. I'm glad you brought that verse into it, because handling it accurately means that the truth can't be my truth, and the truth can't be truth based on society or culture that the truth has to be the truth and it has to like be a truth bomb just thrown in the room and how it explodes, it explodes and where it hits, it hits. And you've got to allow that then to permeate your life. You can't just go off of the assumption of like, this is my truth and this is how it's going to be. And, and we can see that a lot today within culture and society that there is truth, but there isn't any truth. You know what I'm saying? Like there's my truth, there's your truth. And then that's what we're a stand on, but God's word is the truth. There's nothing around it. There's nothing to get past it. Have you seen that meme, though, where you have two people standing on opposite sides and there's a number on the floor? And depending on what side of the number you're on, it's a six or a nine. Yeah. So they're both looking at the same thing. And one person's like, it's a six. The other person's like, it's a nine. I think that an important thing when we're, when we're talking through these things, because I'm not ultimately knowledgeable. Like, right, I'm sure I'm going to learn a ton from Chris when we talk with him, right? Mm -hmm. I learn a lot from you. Like, I want to learn from people around me. But I think that when we're trying to come to the truth of a matter, if we're looking at the same thing, we need to learn to not stand on opposite sides of the thing and just tell the person that they're wrong because look at how I'm seeing it. Come around to how they're seeing it and be willing to do that because then you can actually see from their perspective. It's the whole walk a mile in their shoes type of thing to where I think that a lot in today is a lot of, no, I know what I know, and I know that you're wrong. Yes. And 
I don't see much compassion in that. And you were bringing up different topics there, right? And mm-hmm. it's just, there's not a lot of love in that. The word like is our, we always, you know, the sword and we kind of always think we're just going to be stabbing people up with it. Is that what you think? Because um, <laughs> that's what you see people do with swords and on and movies and everything and in TV. Like it's a weapon that's used for attacking. But what I've learned recently is like if the word, if we break it down all down into like it's God and God is love, that, that it is a weapon of love. And that I'm not swinging a weapon to slice someone, but I'm swinging a weapon to love them. Like I'm loving them. Handling it accurately knows that you're, you're accurately loving people with God's word. Right, because if, you, if you're truly a student of the word and, and you've gotten in and you understand the gospel and you're reading scripture correctly, then you don't have that sword to go and stab people like you were saying. We're realizing that our war isn't against, against flesh and blood. Yeah, It's the powers and principalities. There is wickedness and sin and darkness in the world, and people are under the effects of that. What I want is for everyone that I know, and for me as much as possible, let's step into the light. Let's step into love. I don't get that by coming and stabbing you. Then I'm just driving you away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just yeah. like, cool, can we come together and start stabbing the darkness, right? And, mm-hmm. You know, that's really <laughs> bad sounding <laughs> analogy. But you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tozer puts it this way. For not only does sound reason direct us to refuse the guidance of those who do or teach anything wrong, but it is by all means vital for the lover of truth regardless of threat of death, to choose to do and say what is right, even before saving his own life. That's kind of when I was looking at uh, stuff to kind of quotes to put in here. I feel like that's what Paul was telling Timothy with the truth is like, hold it, guard it, and, and speak it no yeah, matter that, what happens. Yeah, that good Tozer quote, and you just let me keep rambling like that's a fool. That's usually what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he said it good, but yeah, I like that, and that's, that's a good point. For me, one of the things that I like within chapter 2 itself was looking at verses 22 to the end of the chapter, which is, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolishness and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the acknowledgement of truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. What I like about scripture is there's no wasted words. And I think that that's where preaching and stuff is just like, you can spend that much time on a verse. And just in that section that you read right now, is like, so much. Yeah. With nothing wasted. Nothing, and there's so much in it. I mean, the, the pursuit, the go after things. This is what Paul's telling Timothy, again, not to make it about me, but if he's telling Timothy, Timothy, go after righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all of those who everyone else is doing it. Like, go after those things, strive after them. I, I look at that word pursue, and it's like chasing, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like going after it hard, and I, I want to grab that thing, and that's what I want. And then the follow-up question for myself was, am I really pursuing righteousness with that intensity, with that same way of doing things, you know? Well, it's like Jesus, right? When he says hunger and thirst mm-hmm. after it. It's like, we know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. And the three analogies that Paul used, and I don't think we touched on them completely. You talked on the soldier, mm-hmm. but you have a soldier who pursues doing his job, right? Being on duty. You have an athlete who's pursuing a prize, and you have a farmer who's pursuing the harvest. 
Like they're chasing, they're doing something every day to go after. In the way that they're supposed to. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the soldier, you can get disbanded and kicked out, whatever. Like you need to be obedient. The athlete, you need to play by the rules. Otherwise, disqualified. The farmer, you got to plant, you got to weed, you got to do this stuff. Otherwise, you don't get the harvest. So it's like, it's not just, oh, I get to do whatever I want. It's you pursue it within the confines of actually being able to attain. And so that's what I liked about that part. And then the, the next thing is like, do not have anything. And like, he's just telling Timothy, don't have anything with foolishness. And stupid arguments. And Yours says uh, stupid arguments. Mine says ignorant speculation. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> right? And how much do we honestly... Ignorant, right? Mm-hmm. Ignorant is just, you don't know, but you speculate. None of us know anything about virology and what happened over the past two years, right? right? And I get that some people know some stuff, so that's a very broad statement. But just the ignorant speculation that can come up about like, oh, we want to really just tear apart that here's why these two denominations exist because at this point and everyone within those churches, I was like, statistics say that you haven't even studied that chapter Mm -hmm. to the point of coming to that conclusion yourself, but you'll fight someone over it. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, don't come in with the ignorance. Get knowledge or be quiet. (laughs) What does your translation say again? Ignorant speculation. Ignorance, yeah. That, I feel like if someone called me stupid, it doesn't hurt as much if someone called me ignorant. You know, because like stupid, I'm like, yeah, I'm stupid. I could be silly sometimes. You know, I kind of equate it to that. But if someone was like, you're ignorant, I'm like, I'm not dumb. Forget you. I'm not, I'm not that, you know, and like it kind of hits a little harder. So like, yeah, ignorant and, and stupid arguments. And I have to be honest and humble in order to know that I'm ignorant. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, my pride... I know everything all the time. <laughs> no, really. Like, yeah. you can ask me a question. I will make up something. And if you tell me I'm wrong, I'll double down. <laughs> like, it's just, and I'll make it sound right. <laughs> I will use all of the power of my brain, right? Mm-hmm. So, but reject that. Yeah. Because what does it lead to? It breeds to quarreling. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm fighting with somebody over something that I don't actually even know about. You've got to imagine, again, he's writing to Timothy, a believer. Don't quarrel. Don't get into this stuff. Why? Because all quarreling does is cause division. Mm -hmm. It causes separation. Now you're angry at a brother. He's angry at you or a sister. Like someone's mad. No one one leaves an argument feeling good. You know, you're either mad at someone or you're hurt. And that's how it kind of goes through. So he tells them, don't quarrel. Instead, be kind to everyone, able to teach, and don't be resentful. Like don't hoard grudges, teach. And then the part I really liked was those who oppose him, uh, he must gently instruct in the hope that God would grant them repentance, right? And that they would be taken out of the trap, that whatever trap Satan has put there. And if you look at it, the trap of quarreling argument and, you know, division is laid there before us. What really highlighted for me in in hearing that again, and even just when I was reading it, is that, that God may grant them repentance. Speaking of a trap, is that I can do what I want I can be in the realm of sin or of disobedience or of, you know, not paying attention to God and God, like, well, whatever that is, like, I can do what I want and I will be able to stop or turn away at my choosing. But in several places, scripture talks about God granting repentance. And it's just a really interesting thing to me there that how dependent we are on God for his, again, going back to grace because I don't get to choose the consequence of my sin. I don't even get to choose like how big of a hold that it has on me. I need God to move in my life to grant me freedom in that. I don't know. That was just a thing that really 
highlighted. I know it's a bit different from where you were taking it, but for God to grant repentance, which is also a big hope for when we see friends and family or coworkers or whatever who are going through something, it's like, man, pray and hope that God will grant them repentance. If if people looked at me back in the days, like, yeah, I had no hope that me in myself would stop being stupid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But God moved. It's followed by like, don't be resentful. Like, don't hold a grudge. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you're resentful, there, you don't want to hope that someone repents. Mm. You know, what Jesus is boils down to what Jesus said, love your enemies. Cool. I say pray for your enemies, yeah. like pray for them. Step it up. Step up your, your love game and don't just be average. You know, like you can't hold on to resentment, Timothy, because if you hold on to resentment, you're not going to care about the people you're serving. You're not going to care about the people who are out there that need Jesus. You're not going to care that they need repentance. You're just going to hold on to that little thing that said, I know I was right mm-hmm. and you were wrong. And when he says let go of resentment, it's in the hopes that these people would repent because when they see that, it changes, man. Like it's, it's such a common thing for brothers and sisters or family members to go without talking for decades. And with Jesus in our life, that just can't be a possibility, you know, like love. And if you're, even if they're not communicating with you, Get on your knees and pray for them and just hope that God continues to work in their lives. You know, and, and like you were saying, pray that they, the heart may change because they fell for a trap. That theirs will and mine will, right? <laughs> if there's the resentments and stuff. Yeah. 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 All right. You want to get into chapter three a little bit? I do because that's good stuff. I'm just going to make a passing comment on uh, 22 before we leave it. Flee from youthful passions. Told to flee from that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times, especially when it comes to... Uh, We'll just keep going with that euphemism, youthful passions. We're told (laughs) to flee. I think that certain levels of addictions and statistics and just like everything else and our own personal experience should show flee from those things. Mm -hmm. We're not directed to, yeah, fight against it and all this stuff is get away from it. Get far away from it. Whatever it is that as close as that thing is, you need to get as far away from it as possible for however that looks in your life. Flee from youthful passions. And those youthful passions, I was kind of honing in on one, but there's all kinds of passions that come with youth and stupidity and ignorance and everything else, but like, get away from it. Paul's writing to Timothy, where Timothy had to be a younger man, but not like a teenager or anything like that. Like, I would Mm -hmm. say he was probably 30s or 40s. And he's telling him, flee from those youthful desires, is that us as people, we have those desires to want to do things. And, And I'll just sum it up this way, and then we can move on, is if you love chocolate, you can't say, I'm just going to walk into the candy store. I won't buy anything. I can resist it. I can fight it and I'll be good. No, you're going to walk in there and you're going to come out with candy and chocolate because you're not strong enough. This is why throughout the whole Bible, there's flee, 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 run, run, run. Don't be stupid. Don't put yourself in a position to be tempted to fall because you just can't handle it. It's so dumb how much I like cotton candy. Mm-hmm. If I'm anywhere and they're selling it, even those dumb little foil bags with it in the store, <laughs> I buy it. And it's the only kind of sweet or anything. Like, I have to. And it's bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I have eaten for my birthday. People got me cotton candy. And I was like, I should really not eat this much. I was driving down the street with bags of cotton candy eating. <laughs> <laughs> just like, so yeah, I get that. It was like, flee from it. If I'm somewhere, if I was really trying to not eat cotton candy, like, yeah, I shouldn't even go to Knott's Berry Farm because I know that the stand is there. I know that I will probably walk past the stand. So I shouldn't 
that's to the extent that if I shouldn't have gotten candy, I know my weakness to it. Just again, that, that advice that if you know your weakness to something, get that far away from yes. it. That's what fleeing looks like. Chapter three, there's a, a section between verses one through verse 10. And what, what Paul says is, but mark this, there are terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power and have nothing to do with them. I'm going to go then to 10. Uh, 10 says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, and suffering. And what I did with those two in my, my notes in my Bible is that you look at this, this form of godliness and it just seems to be like a thing of self-love and all about the self, but there's a form of godliness to it because they put on that kind of persona of like, I'm good. Like, I guess I would say spiritual, right? The difference between spiritual, like a lot of people say they're spiritual nowadays and that's, it's kind of the same thing, but it's not. And then when Paul brings it into like, let me show you what godliness is. You know what I've taught you. You know my way of life. You know my purpose, my patience, my endurance, and the persecution and the suffering I went through. I kind of tied the two together and said, this is what godliness looks like. This isn't what godliness looks like. This is what it is. And even that section of like, there would be terrible times in the last days, it was like, people would just love themselves. And only care about themselves. And that's the little notes I have in my Bible towards that. Oh, I have this. Uh, it's godly only outward, only religious, and not living according to God's standards. Yeah, that form of godliness, it's interesting to look at it just as far as holding a mirror to us as the church and as Christians. It's like, are we having a form of godliness but denying its power? You know, are we marked by any of those horrible things? But then also just looking at society and that form of godliness that can happen. And I don't want to sound like holier than thou or that they're like that there's no good in different areas. But in a lot of ways that people grandstand on their issues of like, man, social justice, this is what it's all supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, they're not saying that it's a godly thing. Like, here's the morality that we should be going after. Here's what's right in the world. And I'm the one that's carrying that out. And when we just look at society, though, I think that all of us, if we're being honest, can see that it's marked by these things. Lovers themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiven, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, without love of good, traitorous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think that whether you're a believer in God or not, that's just a true statement. Yeah. We are in those days. And yet again, it's proof to me that like the Bible knows what it's talking mm-hmm. about. And it's saying that God is against these things. These are the bad things of the society. And if you're not turning to God, you're part of the generation that is marked by these things. What I like to do here, because verse 12 says, uh, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Is like looking at the list that Paul gave us, right? Like, am, am I patient? Do I love? Do I have endurance? How am I with persecution and suffering? Where's my faith at? The things I say, do they match up when he talks about teaching? Do the Mm -hmm. things I say match up with the way I live? 
or do I look at that first list and say like, man, no, I I'm fall more into like, I love myself. I'm prideful. I'm conceited. I'm rash. At times I can be unforgiving. You know, like which side are you really looking at yourself more on? And, and, and if you are looking at that first list more, then try to aim towards being more on that other list. Like get that stuff out and, and move forward. And then that, that verse is like, Everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's a stinger because if I'm a lover of myself, I don't want to be persecuted. If I love money, I don't want to be persecuted. You know, like if, if I'm these other things, I don't want that because persecution is the cost. That's the price to pay. And linking that in with, so if you're desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, right? I think that we can all look around and see those people who, oh man, those are the bad guys. Those are the guys that, like, you know, they're the ones that are going around deceiving people and doing, I think that we can look at probably people of various levels of power and influence or whatever and see what's happening there. And that's why persecution happens if you follow Christ Jesus, because you're no longer following that. You're not in that system. You're not playing by those rules. You're not going to treat people that way. You're not going to use your resources that way. You're not going to speak that way. You're not going to go along with what these evil people are doing anymore. You're, go- you're doing something else. It's like there's the concept of mob rule, right? When people are in their right minds and what they think is good and how they would want to behave and everything, but when the whole mob is going in a certain direction... They're not going to listen to you. If you try to stop the mob, you're going to get squashed and then they're going to do what they want to do anyway. It's kind of that. Like, I kind of see that here. It's like, we're, as Christians, like, guys, we got to stop in this direction. Those guys that are rallying you to go do this thing, they're wicked men. They're deceiving you. And then those wicked men get louder and this is happening. And like, you know, people in your right mind is like, no, do do you not, again, look at these lists. Do you not want to be the loving, peaceful, Mm -hmm. like person that's bringing you? Oh yeah, I want to. Well, cool, live this way. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like the thinking changes. It's like, I can't. That's coming with a person. Like, you know. It's the toilet paper scare of 2020. Everyone was running to the store and buying toilet paper. There was no valid reason why you needed to buy toilet paper. One person said toilet paper is going to run out. And everyone went nuts and bananas. And very selfishly, like you saw it on the news, people pushing old ladies down or people down or just tackling and, and fighting over toilet paper. And at the end of it, once it all passed, Everyone had toilet paper still. Like, it didn't run out. It was completely fine. But like you were saying, that mob mentality, right? It's like, if you get in caught up and hooked up in that mob mentality, you're going to go after things for yourself. But if you get out of that and you kind of go to what Paul's saying here, it's like, hey, no, pursue these things. Like he said earlier, go after this. Then it changes your whole mindset. I really like want to keep drawing an analogy to the toilet paper thing, but I don't want to, like, <laughs> I don't want to, we, whatever, we'll go with it. Yeah, you can join the mob and everybody's fighting over toilet paper. I bought a bidet. <laughs> Problem solved. Doing something yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to fight anyone for toilet paper. I'm not playing that game at mm-hmm. all, right? So, <laughs> again, really bad enough. I don't <laughs> want to draw too much of those con- uh, correlations there, but you get what I mean? Yeah. You, you just do something different mm-hmm. that's not dependent on what's happening there. I went to the company I used to work at was the their packaging supply company and they sold also toilet paper to companies and stuff like that. So I called them uh, and said, Hey, do you guys have any boxes? So we ended up getting two boxes that had like hundreds of rolls of toilet paper in them, but we did it with the purpose of who in my family needs it. Like who couldn't go right. out and get it. And then we were just giving it to people. 
we took our surplus of what we had and said, it's not here for that reason. I'm not hoarding TP. I'm, I'm giving that out to people who, who just couldn't get to the store in time before the madness hit. And I think that's what God's calling us to do is to how are we different? How are we separated here? And this is what like the challenge of what Paul's hitting to Timothy. And then we get into uh, some of the good stuff at the end of the, the, the chapter is uh, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And man, I love that verse. I have like written down on my little uh, notes here. It's uh, teaching, uh, rebuking false teachers, correcting that's helping other people, and then it's training. And I really love that the end part, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what does that mean? Every good work. Mm -hmm. Anything that's going to be good to help other people, anything that's going to be pleasing in God's eye, to be equipped for everything. It doesn't mean to be equipped to be a ministry leader it doesn't mean to be equipped to be this or that. It just means how are you in this world? Are you a good worker? Not saying like go to work and do your job, but are you a good worker for Christ? Are you doing what he's called you to do? And that's just love people and be kind. Right, love people, right? It's not like, oh man, equipped to be a ministry leader. It's just, are you walking like Jesus? Go read the gospels, see how he loved people, how he interacted. The reality is me as a sinful man, whereas he was sinless, I don't automatically go out and do those things. I was that selfish person who loves money and like, I'm full of pride and everything else. So I was like, oh, I need to get the scripture in because it's going to teach me. Christ is going to teach me. Spirit's going to teach me through that so that I can walk like he walked. And in that, I wish that I would be perfect, but I've had to just kind of admit to myself and accept that I'm not going to be perfect. But the truth of this is, is that I can become fully equipped and complete or mature, right? It doesn't mean like, cool, you're going to become a sinless person, but I can get to the point to where I'm doing as best than what I should be doing, like for the stage of life that I'm at, mm -hmm. right? Is I, I don't need to judge myself on a standard that I'm not supposed to judge myself on. If I sin, I can go and ask for forgiveness and, you know, knock it off and repent from those things. But the reality is the expectation and what's been given to us is that I can be a mature Christian, a mature man who loves people. And does it appropriate and is generous and all these other things we've been talking about. And that's the reality that we're called to step in. All right, chapter four, as we kind of finish up, and I'm going to just glance over a few verses real quick in here and then kind of throw in some things and then we could go from there. But chapter four, I'll get into the big one. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And for me, I wrote down in my Bible, a lot of this studying these books is going to be me saying like I wrote in my Bible because actually in this Bible, it's because I'm going to give it to read. My son, I wrote, this is what you want at the end of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to be able to say this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And the verse before that is, you know, he's talking about being poured out. Like Paul knows. Paul's in prison. He knows his days are numbered. He knows that it's coming close and that his time is at end. And I want to be able to say I fought the good fight. It doesn't mean that I was perfect all the time, but I fought. And I fought and I fought and I fought. I ran the race. I didn't give up. Talking about that endurance again. Like I endured it. Timothy, I endured this. And even right now when you're looking at like where Paul's at, he's in a prison. And this isn't like the nice comfortable prison he was in when he was writing Philippians. This is the dungeon. This is chains. This is rats running around. I was talking to Remy about this the other day when, uh, about the Bible. 
And when they talk about prison, they're not talking about like nice prisons that we have where you get three square meals a day. You get to go work out. Oh, you need your friends to come and bring you food and supplies yeah, and stuff. Like this is a dungeon. This is like you're sitting probably in poop and pee. Like it's 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 not pleasant. And it's Some of dark. These- were literally like holes in the ground that people were in and mm-hmm. if you wanted to come and visit like you go up to the hole and you're handing people down like food and drink and stuff <laughs> like it's gnarly and, and paul writing this saying i fought the good fight i finished the race and it's just remarkable to me those words i've kept faith i never bucked when it got hard i kept the faith and i kept going there may have been times when i questioned but I kept the faith and I kept holding on to what was true. Think about it. So much of a common thought today. I served God with my whole life and I end up here. Why? Really? Was it really worth anything? Is God really real? Like, you know, all those things that can come in. And but Paul's like, no, I know what's true. And I know what I signed up for. And I know why and how I lived because of it. And then the, the verse after what you were saying says, from now on, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who crave his appearing. Suffering, Jesus suffered. At times, Paul is like, I want to suffer with him so that I can have glory in his glory, right? Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I know I'm in prison because I lived the way that I did. I spoke the way that I spoke, and I couldn't be happier about it because I know what awaits me. Yeah. And I think that for all of us, again, Christianity and churches and ministers and everybody going through the past couple of years is just like, why? Mm-hmm. God, where are you at and what's going on? It's like, no, no, no. Keep up the endurance and keep going because the truth is still the truth. God is still God. And still don't think that in America we've hit a level of persecution <laughs> over what's happened, but keep going in what's true. Yeah. The, the, the wrap up of everything for me is you see Paul talks about like so-and-so has deserted me and he's, he mentioned some of it in the previous chapters too. I read somewhere where it said in Paul in 1 Timothy went from some have deserted me to in 2 Timothy it was all have deserted me. And sitting in that dungeon again, feeling very alone and isolated, he's still finding the time to encourage his son in the spirit, his protege, mm-hmm. if you will. And he's still finding that. I really liked in chapter two, I'm going to go backwards, is that this kind of little poem that yeah, he wrote. I like that. And it's a, if we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And I just love Paul writing that. And the, again, if you're looking at this as kind of, this is it. You're not getting anything else from him. Having that in there is so cool. And for me, when I look at this book, I look at it as Paul saying, guard the truth faithfully, spread it actively, suffer for it bravely and this is what he's called him to do and that yeah there's there's a faithfulness to jesus comes at a cost but it's really in those dark times that god can become more tangible and real than any other moment in our life and and i've gone through it and i know you have we've talked about it a lot for the past almost two years about kind of our journeys of ups and downs and when it's dark it it is where god becomes more tangible and real if you really lean into it more than anything else. Yeah, and in those dark times, again, going back to that thing of endurance, and yeah, it's not always hard. There's not always just like active persecution, at least not what I experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's a marker that I need to get (laughs) more serious about things, which I know we've talked about that a lot. And I said earlier, like, oh, well, why would you want to be a Christian if there's these hard things and it's going to come with persecution and everything, right? It's 
the joy and the fullness of life that we get. Like you said, he's in prison, but he still has encouragement to give. And he's still filled with the spirit and still there's still life in him. And coming from that place, when you look in those times of persecution or hardship comes, or you could take the easy route, you could compromise. The cost there, your integrity, you know, your, your soul, it's just like what you know to be right. That's the cost there if you go with what the world wants or go with the easy way versus the cost of staying obedient, which can look like prison, which can look mm-hmm. like, you know, beatings, which can look like all kinds of crazy persecution. Even Jesus talks about when people say mean things about you, right? right. But we have the knowledge and the truth that this world isn't all that there is. So even when we're looking at those trade-offs, would I rather trade my integrity? Would I rather trade my, my activity in this race by running it the right way? Would I rather trade those things for, well, I can lie about it just so that I can avoid, you know, some, some hardship? I think that one of them, like, oh, no, I don't want to get beat. I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want to, like, that seems like the hard thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is losing your integrity is a hard thing. I think the three comparisons, the soldier, the farmer, and the athlete, um, sums everything up to what you're saying. Like you said this earlier, and it, it, I'm glad I remembered it. A soldier has to be obedient. We have to be obedient to God's word. An athlete has to be disciplined, meaning I've got to stay on the path. I've got to stay on track. I've got to move forward. I can't get sidetracked by a little bit or this or that. If I slack off while training or preparing, then come day of the race, I'm not going to endure because I slacked off. And a farmer has to be perseverant because weather can get you. Weeds. Bugs, yeah. weeds. Yeah. Like there's just a list of things. Like uh, one year we planted all of our spring crops. So we had our watermelon, our cantaloupes, our cucumbers, zucchinis and stuff like that, strawberries, tomatoes. And then we had one of those rare spring heat waves in great old Southern California toasted them that crop just didn't do anything because it was just too hot it, it wasn't the right temperature that it needed to be and you endure it and you have to move on to next crop season you know you just move on to the next one and say all right this one didn't do as well so i got to move on but you're perseverant you're constantly working through it and you're tending it and i i really feel like those three things is paul telling timothy you you got to be obedient man look at the children of israel they got all jacked up and things messed up and taken to Babylon because they just forsook God. It's said all over the prophets, like, you just didn't listen. You got to be disciplined because this Christian life isn't made for people who are just going to back out. And you've got to be persistent. You got to keep working on the areas in your life that you know aren't giving God glory. And I love the end of this. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Man, Paul always starts his books off grace and ends with grace. It's like he just wants to wrap us up in grace as we read it and us to understand that grace needs to be all about our life. And when it's not, we give into godless chatter, we're ungodly, we're chasing after desires of our youth, you know, we're doing all the other things. But yeah, that's all I got for this one. I can't wait to sit with Chris and see what he has to say. Yeah, I think that'll be a good conversation. My encouragement for this is go read all of this. Because there's a lot that we didn't talk about. And there's a lot that when you read it for yourself, you're going to say like, man, why didn't they bring this part out of it? Like there's so much good in this book. Don't let it be forgotten to you. Yes. That's a good way to wrap this up. All right. I'm Chris. I'm Mirza. And we are Your Church Friends. Thanks for listening.